0: This recording is copyrighted and is licensed and released under the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 Unported License. This recording is freely released for any personal use including duplication and sharing in its entirety and provided that it is not used for commercial sale or used in any context other than the educational context within which it was created and that credit of its authorship is attributed to the copyright owners with links back to the website www.mbraining.com. Please note that this recording is intended for educational purposes only and is not rendering any medical, psychological, financial, legal or other professional advice. Any personal actions taken based on this recording is at the sole
1: discretion and responsibility of the listener.
0: Hi, I'm Grant Susalu. Did you know the latest research findings in neuroscience have shown that we all have three complex and functional brains, one in our head, one in our heart and one in our gut. Our book, Embraining, describes the scientific evidence for this as well as a suite of powerful yet practical methods for harnessing the capacities of your three brains to achieve greater wisdom in your daily decisions and in your actions. With MBIT, you can live more fully, more powerfully, and much more joyfully than ever before. I'm talking today with Tom Rankin. Tom has more than 30 years of experience in the fitness industry and is a Feldenkrais technique expert and teacher. He runs somatic movement and wellness classes and workshops for the Health Improvement Program at Stanford University, amongst others, and became interested in the Feldenkrais method when rehabilitating his shoulder after surgery. Even though Tom's left clavicle has a steel plate with five screws in it, Feldenkrais taught him how to improve not only his left arm, but also all of his functioning.
1: I I really like the idea of the three brains and It's important that we reframe things to help people understand some very complex ideas. And a lot of times we think of intelligence as our thoughts, the thoughts we have in our brain. That's our intelligence. My background is I've been in the health and fitness industry for 30 years. And what got me interested in the Feldenkrais method was actually a a cycling accident which left me in the hospital with a concussion and really a pretty smashed up clavicle. And I just went to this workshop to keep my wife company. And by the end of the day, my clavicle and left arm were moving better than they ever moved before. And that really got my attention. So I enrolled in the Feldenkrais training and it been Really, quite an adventure ever since.
0: Yeah, it, it's an amazing story, and, and also a story that I think a lot of people who've gotten into Feldenkrais have experienced. That it just like Moshe himself when he developed it. It's based on some injury or limitation of movement that's occurred in their life, and they, they uh, you know they come to this. It's more than a movement practice, right? It's a, it's a, a attentional practice. It's a way of using, uh, you know, the neurophysiology to communicate. It's a way of using the whole mind-body intelligence to communicate optimal patterns of of movement and wellnessing in the system, and it just makes big shifts for people. Um, I've been a fan of Feldenkrais work ever since I came across it, you know, years ago. I've, I've read all of Moshe's books, been on workshops, etc. I think it's oh. really, really profound work personally. And, you know, I often quote some of the things that uh, Feldenkrais would say, because uh, he had some really important distinctions and concepts. So, you know, so Tom, one of the reasons we're talking today is because I was really keen to explore the notions of what Feldenkrais has to say about, you know, that body intelligence. About, given that, you know, from MBit perspective, we know we've got a complex adaptive. Neural intelligence in the heart and another one in the gut that's got, you know, 500 million neurons like the size of a cat or dog's brain. So it's quite a huge intelligence at the gut level and gut instinct, gut wisdom. And I know that, you know, Feldenkrais looks at the whole mind, body, uh, nervous system. So there must be some really deep insights and practices that, uh, movements and processes that, that speak to heart and gut and the alignment of head, heart and gut. So I'm really keen to hear what you think of, you know, the three-brain model and how it links up to what you know about Feldenkrais.
1: Okay, great. If we look at movement, and it's really interesting because science is starting to look at the reason why the human brain developed to such a high degree is based on the complexity of our movements, just being in this upright position gives us so many more varieties than any other animal. And if you look at a apprenticeship, you know, a horse is pretty much walking hours after being born. How long does it take for a baby, a human baby, to walk? We're talking years, yeah. years of years of apprenticeship of doing that. And the ability to learn... To how to use all these advantages that we have, being in this upright posture, having the opposable thumbs, really has a lot to do with the complexities of the brains. And Feldenkrais has written that the primary function of our brain is really to, to guide these movements. If you think about it, if we can't move, survival is just very, very, very difficult, And he did choose movement because it's simple and easy to understand with language. But we have the difference of Australian language and American language. And, you know, maybe you guys use the word pissed like the British do. But, you know, in Britain, if you're pissed, you're drunk or you're getting there. In America, it means something completely different. Yeah, if somebody's pissed, they're angry and they're upset about something. Yeah. So it, it it it's language can be somewhat confusing because it's an abstract concept. So Feldenkrais thought, look, if you have somebody, if they get up from the chair a particular way, they walk a particular way. That's the way they do it. This is very simple. We can look and see what they're doing. We can see what is happening, what isn't happening. And then we can help that person to come to realize that that's that's the beautiful thing being people. We have choices in our life. A lot of times we don't give ourselves choice because we're so ingrained in a habit. But once you realize you have a choice of how you can move or how you can choose to think, the the world really starts to open up. Yes. Yeah, I think that's
0: a pivotal point about movement that you've that you've made and that Feldenkrais made, and that there are a number of uh, you know, evolutionary biologists, neurologists, uh, and neuroscientists that are saying that the, the, that's exactly the prime function of the nervous system, prime function of the brain is for movement. And so it's really, uh, you know, the brain is a fundamentally about movement. And if we go back in that uh, phylogenetic you know, evolutionary sense, we look at the, you know, the early organisms that their brain was the enteric brain, so sea slugs and... Uh, Helminths and, uh, you know, sea cucumbers, these sorts of tube-like structures that the only brain that they have is the gut, what in the human is the gut brain, evolved into the gut brain. And so the prime functions of their brain, which is still the prime functions of our, um, gut brain, is around visceral identity and of course selfing, the ability to detect self versus not self, which links strongly to the, you know, 80 to 85% of immune function in the human body is controlled by the enteric nervous system, by the gut brain. It's about monitoring threat in the environment and self-preservation. And it's, a, it's around motility, the movement of that, you know, that tube-like structure in that environment once it monitors uh, you know, either something that is attractive, something to eat or, or mm-hmm. mate with, or something that's dangerous to move away from. So core movement, you know, the motivation, the, the gutsy, gutsy sense of getting moving in life is linked deeply into the enteric nervous system. And there's some people who talk about the psoas muscles being linked into the enteric nervous system and being a you know, core muscles that literally, you know, set the tone for quality of movement in the human and, and they're the links of the enteric nervous system of the gut brain into those, you know, muscle groups. So I just, you know, uh I think you're you're spot on in that the the aspect of movement and the communication of movement into the brains as a lang- Almost as as you were, as a language Rather than words coming through the head brain With all of the abstractions And you know, you say a word in the US Like it happened to me when I was um, working in the US for a while Went out with a group of my work colleagues And they took me to the the, the great Aussie steakhouse Or whatever it's called The mm-hmm. Outback Steakhouse It's supposed to be quintessential Aussie food They thought I'd really love it Having been away from home for a while And they brought out this thing called a bloomin' onion And uh, I lo- looked at it and I went Oh my god, that's a buggered onion you've really bugged that onion and in <laughs> australia and england to say something's bugged means you to be broken has a completely different meaning Ah, uh, like yeah you know to say pissed has a completely different meaning in the us and the whole <laughs> table of all my work colleagues stopped and looked at me as if i just you know done said something absolutely terrible and obnoxious which from an aussie perspective i hadn't but from their perspective it was a real faux pas right so yeah oh, language yeah. with its abstractions and layers can can um, be very challenging to get back to that that you know getting back to primary experience and the education of the nervous system into new ways of, of feeling being and doing and i think that we're doing is really appropriate or you know around motility movement so um you were saying at the beginning of this interview that you love the this you know this three brain model the, the distinctions there are brains in the heart and gut did you want to speak more about that
1: oh yeah definitely definitely because really, we consider an action in all these parts, the heart, the brain, the guts, any action you care to take. And I'll put it in feldenkrais and then we can kind of play with it a little bit to how it relates to the gut and the heart. Feldenkrais considered an action being made up of, of thinking, sensing, feeling, and movement. And if you think of that, all the, those three brains are present in everything. If we're walking late in a graveyard at night and it's spooky, we're, we're gonna we're gonna feel the movement of the hair of the skins. You know, your hair standing up on end. You have that queasy feeling in your stomach. Your heart feels heavy, and then you're having the thoughts of, "Wow, I want to get out of this place quick." So if we we take the time to be aware with every action that we take, you know, we're we're so used to, we're habituated to just thinking about our thoughts and relating our action to just our thoughts. But really, we have those two other modes of intelligence, which are available to us by the way we're going to sense something and the way we're going to feel something. That combined with movement will really give us an idea of what's going on with this particular action we're doing. Yes,
0: spot on, spot on. And one of the things that uh, comes to my mind as you say those four things, one of them speaks like that: the, the hairs raised on the arm, etc., the feeling in the skin. It actually speaks strongly into the autonomic nervous system because, you know, the uh, erector pili, the... The thing that are, causes the hairs to get erect or not is actually linked into the autonomic nervous system, the, the sympathetic arm um, of the autonomic nervous system, and, and that is the control and communication gateway between the three brains and is a deeply intelligencing system that has memory and processing, etc. You know complex enough that a couple of researchers uh, in the field of autonomic neuroscience are saying that you could call it a brain, but the majority of neuroscientists aren't yet calling it a brain, but we'll call it an adaptive intelligencing mm-hmm. system. Uh, so it isn't just a bunch of wires running between the, you know, the three plexi of head, heart, and gut brains. It actually you know, does its own memory and intelligent processing, trying to detect in the internal and external environment that which is threat or opportunity. So I think it is another you know level of intelligence. So your example spoke beautifully to to what really you know says there are four major adaptive intelligencing systems in the nervous system: the three brains and the um, you know the communication and control. Intelligencing system that connects them
1: Yeah, I kind of like to think of it In a real simple way Right now I'm in uh, Mountain View In the heart of Silicon Valley In Googleville we kind of call it (laughs) So (laughs) analogy that I like to use We can can look at the brain, the guts, the heart separately and, And that would be the hardware We can operate on it If you have a problem with this or that, it's there. It's a physical structure, much like the hardware of a computer. But computers also have a software. They have an operating system. And for lack of a better word, and and I know that the concept of mind is really subject to huge scientific debate, but, but I like to think of our mind as our operating system. It, every, all these parts of us formed together to give this a sense, a matrix, a hologram graphic image, self image. Feldenkrais would probably call it someone's self image. But this this is really gonna be our operating system that's really gonna have a, a, a huge play in how we choose to act and what we choose to do. Yes, absolutely. So, Tom, is there any
0: movements, uh, any, any ways of orienting, you know, in the gravity field, uh, using your neuromusculature, you know, system that Feldenkrais would say, uh, germane to, say, the heart or germane to the gut? That if you want to educate your gut, say, you've got a, a gut that's learnt to be very fearful through things that might have happened as a child. And it's led to qualities of movement in your life, and, and therefore all sorts of things to do with posture and, you know, uh, armoring and, um, you know, a, a ultimately thinking processes, all sorts of things that uh, will go on in your life. Are there particular classes of movements or exercises, etc., that could be done to start freeing up and communicating with the gut that it's safe, for example?
1: Wow. And actually, there is. There's something, and, and this is really, when you think of it, a really brave thing to do. And... You have 250 strangers who have come to Amherst, Massachusetts to move, to learn your method. And the first thing you do with them, it it was a sucking lesson. It was a 30 to 40 minute lesson of imagining that you're sucking on your mother's nipple. Wow. And and he just talked that through and, oh, yeah, it's, you know, and. Incredibly break. Here's these people you never met before, and you're you're, you're going to put them into this intimate experience. And I talked to a few people there, and they thought he was crazy. It's like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? <laughs> but it was interesting. He had them look at their faces before they started, and then he talked to the person of the... Of the lips, you know how the tongue would shape, and and just doing this very very gentle, soft, supple movement with their imagination, and then he had them go look in a mirror afterwards, and it's like everybody had a facelift. Hmm. The lines of the face smoothed out. Everything was soft. They also found other things. They were standing taller after the lesson. They were walking easier. So the, the interesting thing is, without really going into childhood history or traumatic childhood events, just kind of revisiting one of these very early reflexes that, you know, that's one of the few reflexes we're actually born with, one of the few movements we're born with, we can kind of do right out of the gate. But but working with that, he was able to really create some very powerful changes right off the bat.
0: Oh wow, that's so clever that truly, from an Mbit perspective, that is know, yeah, it's, it's a blinding flash of the obvious. the uh, distal endpoint of the enteric nervous system is the, the tongue, the mouth uh, the taste buds you know there are taste buds on the tongue and that speak up into the head brain that speak down to the enteric nervous system as well and There are taste buds throughout the whole gastrointestinal tract they've now discovered. So the enteric nervous system is tasting the food as it digests all the way through. Thank God we don't have conscious uh, head-brain awareness from uh, below the the mouth down because I'm pretty sure that the stuff that's deep in our intestines would would taste like shit. But uh, what a clever thing to do because if you get the... I was just, as you were talking about that process, I was just doing it myself here. And listeners might want to try it. Just imagine that you're a baby and you go back and imagine what it would it, what it felt like to to have a nipple and you got, that means also relative size of how small your head was back then, and therefore how big the nipple was in relative terms. Imagine now, as an adult and having that that whole sucking feeling and the swallowing of milk of this you know delicious milk down into your gut. My gut went through a really amazing feeling process like it really was a deep deep relaxing, almost coming home feeling deep in I felt safe in my gut as I was doing that process and it was a it just as you were speaking it was a huge shift made in my gut from that. So what a powerful and interesting technique to be able to get to re educate the gut brain to say you are safe if you spend some time exploring and meditating on, you know, sending messages at the baby level of, of going through those sucking motions and feeling it it's, feeling of the tongue and, and how your tongue would move and your lips would move and the are relaxing and oh you know, it would get autonomic shifts so therefore facial mm-hmm. muscles, you know, parasympathy, very parasympathetic. It would be oh, cause yes. a trigger of and release of oxytocin. Because uh one of the things that, you know, oxy as as you would know, Tom oxytocin is the bonding um you know, they call it the bonding neurohormone. It starts in the uh process of delivery of the baby as the mother's getting ready to for, with the contractions, to bring the contractions on, her body releases oxytocin. And the oxytocin causes or you know, stimulates the contractions to have the baby come out. Well, the oxytocin also begins the process of the letdown reflex of milk, so that the milk will be ready at the breast for the baby once it's born. And my beloved's a midwife, so if she's, uh, and right now as we're talking, she's in helping in build wow. the babies in the hospital in, in Gippsland an hour from where we live. So she, she, if the woman's contractions aren't coming on, the, you know, they would give the, an injection of syntocin and They call it sint, um, and that's a, a synthetic oxytocin to help the contractions come on and get the whole process. Because if the woman's you know, natural processes are going too slow and it's not going to be, she can't dilate enough and the baby won't be able to be delivered. Rather than having to do cesarean section, etc., um, and to be able to have natural childbirth, they'll, they'll use this synthetic oxytocin. So you know that oxytocin, if you, whenever you do the mother does breastfeeding, uh, the sucking of the nipple and, and baby's massage. Uh, I cr- created um, with a myotherapist a form of massage called Embit Massage. And uh, we looked at you know the nature of the, the heart and gut brains and the alignment through highest expression of, of using electrodermal touch of how you use as a body worker, you use your body as a biofeedback system. Very aligned with the sorts of things, um Moshe was doing, but, you know, more from the perspective of just focusing on head, heart and gut brain and, and the alignment for emergence of wisdom in that, in the mind-body system. And one of the things I came across was research on that when babies are suckling at the breast, they, even from the minute they come out of the womb, like, within less than 10 minutes, if you put them in the breast, they'll actually massage the woman's, the mother's breast, and that massaging is a way of increasing oxytocin expression in the mother and therefore to get more wow. bonding. And um, and there's an echo of that in the baby. There's an echo of that through mirror neurons in the husband, in the father, if he's watching this process. So you can measure this in the bloodstream. And, and oxytocin expressors and receptors are in the head brain and in the heart brain. So, you know, the heart, the place of bonding and connection... So you know, just imagining suckling on on a you know, you know, on a breast as a baby would cause—I guarantee—we could measure shifts in oxytocin, in dopamine, etc., in the bloodstream. It would take you, you know, from a biochemical perspective, it would communicate down into the heart and gut brain, and and bring and the autonomic nervous system, the parasympathetic, Porges' you know, polyvagal theory, and it would it would take you to a place of calm, peace, and safety. Therefore, you would get all of those things you said. You know, people's faces—they'd look like they had a facelift. They'd be standing taller because they wouldn't be hunched over. Because hunching over is very much an expression of not feeling safe. Right. And You're trying to armor and protect that. You know, that frontal gut area. And when people, you know, go into dangerous environments, they usually will, their first response, as you know, is to to hunch over, etc. I remember a workshop, a Feldenkrais workshop, I did many years ago at a conference on thinking. It was actually at MIT, mm-hmm. and. There was a Feldenkrais educator practitioner there, and he had a room full of us, and the first exercise, and it wasn't suckling. Um, that would have been fantastic. I wished I had mm-hmm. that experience. The first exercise was we stood there, and a stranger stood behind us, um talking about you know this this thing of of having some trust, and he, the, so the half the room were was standing behind, half the room was standing in front of of somebody, and you didn't know, but the person behind you had been instructed that they're just going to give you a a light shove in the back, just a push. And so you're just standing there, uh, not knowing what, except the sun's behind you, next thing, you get this slight push from the back. And the debrief on the exercise was, what? how did you respond? How did you respond to this unknown push, shove in the back? Did you push back? Did you crumple down? Did you hunch over? Did you get angry? Did you, you know, sort of uh, suddenly take three steps forward? what was your orientation in the way you mind body move in the gravity field to this impulse from the back and then how did that relate to you as a person your ontology or in a way of being in the world that when you got exigencies of of you know um, some sense of surprise that came out of from behind you so to speak metaphorically do you get angry did you did you fight back did you push straight back or did do you get mm-hmm. go do you, do you go into fight do you go into flight you run away? Do you hunch down? Do you go into... You know, what did you do? Did you spin around? And is that the way you orient in the world? And, and it was really amazingly insightful because the way that one little exercise that you moved, your impulsive movement in response, was so descriptive. You know, such an example mm-hmm. of the rest of your mind-body patterning in the world.
1: Yeah, yeah that, that action, the way you responded to that push is basically the movement you made is explaining all of your state of being at that time. And Feldenkrais, they said he 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 almost had psychic abilities the way he would read people's movements and the way they moved. He could tell where they had pain. He had, He could tell if they were troubled by something. And it, it wasn't because he was reading their brain, he was reading their movements. He was reading the way they were carrying themselves, the way they were acting, and that was like an open window to their brain.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Calibration in, in NLP terms, we call it, you know, the ability to calibrate external physiology to to, to work out what internal processing and internal stating people are doing. It, it's you know, absolutely, and the and more refined you are at it the more you it appears like magic that you can mind read stuff that is actually just communication
1: yeah yeah as is one um the earliest person who worked with felden was mia siegel and she w- would say often movement is your brain in action that's your brain your your movement is your brain your movement is your nervous system that yeah. It is it is your condition of how you are right now at this moment. The, the way you are moving is the way you are expressing yourself in this world. Yes. Yes, that's a beautiful distinction. Um
0: and of course from the MBIT perspective we go movement is your brains. <laughs> Don't know whether it is works there, but um yeah. yeah, yeah, movement is your brains in action and the way they're expressing their their you know, their way of being this right now and so it, what comes to me right at the moment in this and it's obvious and it fits with what we teach in our MBIT coaching from the perspective of, of calibrating your client is that the quality of your movement of those characteristics of how you, you move and orient in the gravity field is re- related head, heart and gut to their prime functions so how you relate in terms of relational affect and connecting with others and, and values and emotions will be how your heart-brain is relating in how it organises the quality of your movement. You know, your, your movement, your actions, are your head, heart and gut-brains expressing themselves so the heart-brain will express emotions, etc., connection with others. And it will through gestures and movement. So when people are talking about love, they gesture to their heart. They don't gesture down to their gut. When they're talking mm-hmm. about the core competencies of, of fearing and courage, they don't gesture to their heart, they gesture to their gut. When they're talking about and getting you know like if people get confused at a head-based level about logic or making meaning and they're trying to make meaning of something they'll put their hands to their head. This is embodied cognition, right? Um, right. They'll, they'll scratch their head, they'll they'll you know touch their forehead, they'll uh, do all those sorts of things. They don't touch their gut when they're confused at the head level and they're trying to make meaning of something. They touch is that they they put their focus in their body at the head, heart, or gut and gesture to it. And so without them saying a word, you can tell which of their brains is got prime uh, control at this point in time or is the is 7 plus or minus 2 of their focused, you know, conscious and unconscious attention. So in any movement there would be head, heart, and gut components and you'd be able to watch the quality of the of the body moving, moving through that right. space to see head, heart, gut, and
1: autonomic, nervous system. It's a, a beautiful insight.
0: The other thing well, that I... Oh, go on, you want to say something to that? Yeah,
1: I, I, just to expand on that because this is really a great point and there's Is the story of this woman who was just an amazing singer, and she was just having a lot of difficulties. And uh, the therapist who was working with her discovered that she was singing a lot of really sad songs in her set. Mm -hmm. And when you see a great singer, they you know all of them is involved in what they're doing. Yeah. it it it's a lot of people think it's oh, it's coming from the throat, but really, you watch a an amazing singer perform and, and you can feel it you you feel what they're doing with all of them. all of them is projecting into that song, and you know when somebody is totally into it and when they're just dialing it in. Yeah. you know like you said, the heart, the gut are really into what they are doing. And what, what she decided needed to do was just put her up happy songs into her set. And it's amazing. Just by changing the songs she was singing and the, the way she was projecting those songs, a lot of her, her difficulties really, really cleared. So Feldenkrais believed that our habits ha- are based in movements. Our movements are the foundations that our habits rest on and when you give yourself a choice to move and really that's what Feldenkrais is it's helping people helping people learn and know and create more choices so they aren't stuck in one habitual pattern mm-hmm. so when you have that ability to think you're stuck in traffic. Usually, when I would get stuck in traffic, I go ballistic. You know, it, it, that's the one thing that would push my button and make me go crazy. I just there was something about the feeling of getting stuck. And after doing all this Feldenkrais work, I, I realized I have a choice now. I can go ballistic. I can feel my stomach churn, and I can feel my heart beating faster, and almost picturing myself like a caged animal in my car, or what I can do is just take a moment to chill, maybe put some relaxing music on the radio, work on my breath, my breathing, slowing things down. And that for me was big, just realizing that I didn't have to put myself under a lot of stress and upset, that I did have a choice and I can look and I can experience this, situation in a different way. Yeah. Yeah beautiful.
0: Absolutely. You can choose to do Zen driving versus uh get yourself upset driving.
1: Well after my after my recent speed ticket I I actually <laughs> changed because you- 'Cause yeah, that did it, you know. And it,
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's contingency just a very important well, th <laughs>
1: do it for me And too I noticed I, I noticed how I habitually drive and I was sitting up in the seat, I was grabbing the steering wheel tightly. Yeah. And I was like, "Let's go, everybody, move!" You know, it's like the old George Carlin joke where he said, "Do you notice that you're the only one driving the right speed? All the other idiots are either driving too fast or too slow."
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a comment on movement, right? And the, and the and the flow of movement, and how our own phenomenological experience of of movement is the right one, even if it's creating you know all sorts of issues in our life.
1: Well, and, and then I realized that I had a choice. I can drive that way. I can drive the way I always drove, or I can just lean back and seat a little bit. I can take a looser grip on the steering wheel. Yeah. I can be more aware of my, my speed. And then I can purposely put myself in the slow lane and, and just, and I and what I found is life in general is much less stress once I stop rushing. And most of the time you're rushing and then you're sitting around waiting for something yeah. to start because you got hurry there too early.
0: Hurry up and wait. Yeah. It's something you've said in in, a, in amongst um, this, this last section of story uh, of change. I was actually uh, wanted, wanting to speak to, which is the ideas of neuroplasticity. Uh, in, I think it's in Moshe's book, uh, The Elusive Obvious, that he talks about that there's a a saying that that nothing is permanent in the nervous system except that thinking and belief makes it so.
1: Yeah. 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 it's such a great quote. Such a great quote in and it's amazing because you, you see it. You, you know, you know. I love studying with Mia Siegel. She's been doing this work probably even longer than Moshe. Now, she's been at it so long, and, and you see that. You see the fear that people have when they they come to her workshop. They've been told they couldn't move a certain way. They couldn't straighten their back or reach up, and it's just life-changing when she works with them and gets them to, to realize that it it was just this belief they had. They just had a, such a strong belief that this particular movement was going to create much damage. And once they learned that they could actually do that movement and do it comfortably and pleasantly, they, they, their whole life just shifts and it opens up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you you've, you are so, so right there and it reminds me of an example of a case study we wrote about in our book Embraining. There was a girl who'd uh, been attacked as a young teenager and, and seriously um, damaged, spi- serious spinal damage, I mean stomped on, etc. And she was told that she'd never walk again. After six to twelve months, she was a very determined young lady, she managed to, uh, to get up out of bed and, and walk. Uh, but she'd been largely, you know, pain-filled every day, uh, for, since that accident, but she was absolutely determined she would walk and, and have a normal life, and, you know, to her credit she did, but lived with pain every day. Uh, the exercise, she was told not to do a certain class of movements or exercises when she was, you know, um, just recuperating by the doctors, because that that could put her back into a wheelchair. And in the fullness of time, with evidence-based medicine, there was a new Class of exercise they'd found really helped with people with her sorts of condition, and would probably help her stop being pain. She would become largely pain free, and she really wanted to do these exercises, but she couldn't because every time she tried to do the exercises, she would uh, freeze up. Literally, to the point where if she uh, she forced herself, then she was end up in bed for a whole day, sometimes two days, not m- able to move at all, like you know, literally back to being paraplegic. And uh, when she really got to the point of trying to force herself to do these exercises, she would vomit before. Talk mm. about you know the gut-brain messages. And she tried psychology, she tried um, NLP, and she tried all sorts of techniques to get through this because she was she looked at all the evidence. She was completely convinced that the the science was there. She you know, would be able to do these exercises safely. But there's the convincing the head brain of the science of it. You can read every scientific paper you want, but there's the Convincing of the gut brain, which had had this, you know, sort of learnt gut reaction around quality of movement in her life, that mm-hmm. it was just not going to let her do that, and so because you know um, she knew me and she knew I was working on Mbit, uh we did a an integration uh, Mbit coaching, and so I used a thing called the kinesthetic interrupt to interrupt the blocking that was occurring. That mm. the, the, literally there was this you know, um, constricting of the the muscle groups that um, are co-innovated between the head brain and the gut brain as a way of blocking the thing where people say they choke up. You know, literally, Mm -hmm. the the co-innovation of the esophagus, etc. The two brains communicate via these muscle groups that they co-innovate. And by opening that up, it allowed the message of the safety of this to get down to the gut brain. And when it got through, she fell on the floor, uh, belly laughing and huge burping. Mm -hmm. It was like there was this gut release. And from that point on, uh, she was able to do the exercises and she's now living pain free.
1: Beautiful, you know, sure.
0: As she could with, to force those, those things on, she had a, a gut based belief, shall we call it? You know, mm-hmm. a, a gut response to those classes of movement in her life and so she couldn't do them because you know, like you said you know if there's a belief that that you can't do something then you won't and and you know if you armor as you do it and you tense up it will be painful but you find a way to to do that movement with flow and ease and the pain isn't there and it, it's you know and therefore with neuroplasticity you can get shift in the very nervous system that's you know that's been thinking this belief holding a belief constant and keeping circuits you know um and mm-hmm. the neuromuscular circuits I mean, we, 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 this is a really good point that you're, I believe you're making in, in, in what you've been saying, is that the nervous system isn't in isolation of the muscular system. It, it doesn't, they're not separate systems. We can, like you said, we can look at them like the computers, different computers in the internet, but it's one internet. You know, if we right. take away one of the servers from the internet, the, like, you know, we take away the Google servers, then we can't do a Google search anymore, but the internet's still there. You know, it's so, uh each of these separate components works together, and they work together. You take one away and the whole function, like the you know, search function, disappears out of the internet if you take away the search servers. So the the multiple brains work with the musculature. They're not isolated. You can't yeah. ever separate, cut them out and say, oh, we'll just work with the brains. You're working with the brains and musculature at the same time in this amazing loop.
1: Exactly, exactly. Everything is... In integrated, very integrated, complex organism that all, all is very tied into each other. And it's, it's interesting what, what you did when, when you were able to get her to this nice parasympathetic state, Feldenkrais believed that only True learning could occur in that state as long as you're forcing and you're willing yourself to do something. Your learning is going to be really temporary at best. Mm. That you and it's interesting. That's if we're working personally with people in the functional integration lessons. That's really the first thing. Is to just get the person's nervous system just to slow down and calm, and when you start to hear the gurgling, the stomach gurgling, that yeah, that's I always tell people, don't worry about that. That's a good sign. You're you're making a nice shift, mm-hmm. and once you get that person to that state, then then it then real the real learning can occur, and they can really make some very profound. Changes in how they move. But as long as is somebody's still in that sympathetic state, there's really, really not too much you can do. Really, the first thing is to always to, to, to get that change, to, to to get some person in just a very calm place. Yeah, that, that's always rule number one in Feldenkrais.
0: Hmm. I think that's a great point. That's a really deep insight that the quality of the learning is determined by the quality of the autonomic mode that the learning is done in. It's very much the case we saw in our modeling work with the multiple brains that wisdom only emerged, you know, from that coherent place when there was a, a balance between, you know, parasympathetic and sympathetic when it was in that nicely coherent place, the, the calm spot, the, um, the, the flow state. From those points, mm. the multiple brains would be most adaptive, and, and the competencies they would exhibit are the ones that uh, you know you sort of you talk about. If you see when the, you liberate the human spirit, when the human truly comes alive, it's it's in that sort of a mode, not overly parasympathetic, where it's more shut shut down and and um, almost depressed, and not overly sympathetic, mm. where it's t- too excited and and too um, in fight and flight, but in that beautiful uh, middle place. And that's where wisdom could emerge. And if you want to do deep learnings that can shift, you know, that plasticity that can shift at that level of who you are and your human becoming, then you need to be in a in that safe place, in that zone, in in that flow state uh, to get the wisest learnings and the most optimal adaptive response to the learnings. So I think that's a really important insight that uh, we as educators could learn. That we don't want to put our learners into places where they're, they're, their sympathetic kicks in and they're fight and flight. And we don't want them to be down-regulated and shut down because they feel over-parasympathetic, almost gone depressed in the, the learning. If there's any of that, those responses, we haven't brought them alive first. Then, you know, and that, I'm thinking, you know, from what we've been talking about, that would be through simple movements. You could get people to, to come to that place of Calmness. In bit of course, we start with breathing, because breathing is a huge you know, leverage shifter in the gateways of um, the autonomic nervous system. So there would be other things you could do in terms of quality of movement in the room as educators to get people in the most adaptive place. You got any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, yeah. And actually um, talking about me as Siegel again, and her organization is called Mind Body Studies, and Really, they, they teach the Christ's work better than anybody else. They really take, because you're speaking of some of the complexity of, about this method. It, it really can work in a very complex way. But the, the beauty is, and the beauty of what may did is, how do you realize this in the world, in the concrete world, in a simple way that people can do? Mm. And that lesson we talked about earlier is just one one easy way. A lot of complex things are, are going on that people may or may not understand. But the important thing is here is something that they can do in 20 to 30 minutes with easy to understand language that a five-year-old can understand that's going to create a profound change in their life. And this interesting thing—the way the lessons are set up—and they they have three words: move, learn, know. And I I got my MBS T-shirt on, and that's on the back of my T-shirt. But it it's more than just moving; it's moving with awareness. We need to be aware of how we are moving, and the way you use your. Your awareness is by learning by differences. So in a Feldenkrais lesson, we're asking questions where, you know, if if we're doing the lesson that we talked about earlier and you, you mentioned breath. So when you purse your lips, when your lips make that O shape, did you tend to breathe in or did you tend to breathe out? And that, by asking those questions, you're shaping the person's awareness. You're making, you're helping. You're not making, but you're helping them become more aware of various aspects of themselves. And there's so many different ways we can play with that. As you're breathing in, does your stomach go in or does your stomach go out? And we can just play with all these little different aspects of the breath. And wherever you're shifting your awareness, well, with the neuroplasticity, those parts of your brain are really, really lighting up. And then the knowing is what we call aha moments. You know, all of a sudden you're doing this little suckling movement and you're realizing that there's the joint On top of the vertebrae, the occipital and the vertebrae, you can actually feel that joint moving. And you're getting this little extension in the head in a place that you didn't even know you can extend. So all these little different points are really lighting up. And they're, they're talking about, you know, as people get older to keep the brain alive, learning new things, learn a new sport, learn a new language. Well, in Feldenkrais lessons, you're learning new movements. Every new movement you learn, you're, you're going to light up a part of your brain that you never really used before. So this, really, if somebody wants a three word answer for Feldenkrais, move with awareness. Learn from distinguishing differences. When you do that, you will know what you're doing. And then the famous Moshe quote is, if you know what you're doing, you can do what you want.
0: Nice. Well, thank you, Tom. That's, uh, that's probably a beautiful place to wrap up. We're, we're getting close on the, the hour. Uh, I usually have to keep these to just under an hour so that um, people have the chance to listen to them. Uh, in an easy way. So, uh, thank you for sharing your insights into, uh, Feldenkrais and how it links into, you know, the multiple brains. I, I absolutely love the Feldenkrais model, as I've said, and I highly recommend that, that people, you know, do some Feldenkrais classes, uh, read some of Moshe's books, uh, if they want to learn more about your work, or if they want to come and experience some of, uh, for those in the US or traveling to the US who want to come and experience some of your work. How can people learn more and yeah. get in touch? Do you have a website? Well, or
1: you, Actually, let me get you some email. We we did start a group called Sense. We're in the process. One thing, uh, interesting thing about groups, it's it, a lot of discussion. So it, it's been taking a while to get the website up because we've we got a group at about 10, and you know I have, we have to come to a compromise, so... That's kind of an interesting process. People can email me at tom.movingintothemoment at gmail.com. And then also the Australian Feldenkrais Guild. You guys got it going on much better in Australia than we do here in America. Truly. Uh, there is a physical therapist named Kim Wise who's, who's just awesome. Yeah, I've actually and, spoken
0: to Kim. Oh, beautiful, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, we, yeah. Had, we had a couple of phone calls. Um, there's Someone else in one of my interviews recommended I connect with a, another movement practitioner over in the U.S.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, well, it's great because we all learn from different people. And I, I'm, I kind of, you know, I love the somatic idea of it. I love the integrating of all of ourselves into it. Other people are taking it from more of a physical therapy or rehab perspective you could also take it from a a childhood development perspective and there's been a a lot of amazing practitioners who have just taken people through the whole process of movement again it's it's kind of rebooting your movement childhood and had great responses with that so there's so many different ways this work can go
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. And also powerful to educate those you know, nonverbal brains, those nonverbal intelligences in the mind-body system of heart, gut, autonomic nervous system. The language of those are primarily movement, and, you know, patterns of movement.
1: And Grant, I want I want to thank you because the the way you were talking about the suckling lesson was was just beautiful. I, I, I never... You brought so many... So many other ideas to me that,, you know, I never really thought that deeply about it before. I, I, I thought of it more in just you know early childhood developmental kind of way, and just bringing it into all these other aspects of ourselves. You know, I'm going to have to teach that lesson. So, so so yeah, awesome. I always kind Well, of you have to take from that lesson, MP3
0: it, man, and uh, and we'll share it with the audience.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, well, I'd love that to experience you. it. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll do that then. I I got a group of experienced people in one of my classes, and that may be that may be the, the group of people to do it with. Awesome, awesome.
0: Well, thank you for saying that, Tom. I appreciate it. Um, it, it just does just echoing. From the MBIT insight perspective, what you were saying it just you know, it connected a whole bit heap of dots up for me when you said it. I go, mean, oh my goodness, what a profound technique and a profound insight! I hadn't thought about it, and, and funnily enough, since throughout the rest of this interview, I've been practicing doing exactly that. And every time I, I, I do that suckling movement, etc., in my mind's eye body, you know, my body's eye, uh, it it has felt amazing at the gut level. So I hope the listeners are going to um, have a play with that because I'm going to start using this now as a as a really powerful way to get a, a deep gut shift to safety to a place of safety. It feels so good. So um, uh, thank you. It was, it was a wonderful insight you shared.
1: Well, well, thank you. That's you know I I love learning new things and I learned a lot of new things today and I just had a great time. So really, thank you. Thank you for making me a little smarter and having me on. <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure, Tom. Thank you for, the, you know, your willingness to come and share
0: your insights and knowledge and skills with us. It's, it's so important, and there's so many, you know, modalities out there that some of the Enneagram coaches may or may not be aware of, or might have known about. Like, you know, I knew about Feldenkrais from years before. Got interested in it uh, initially through the field of NLP, and some of the uh, other NLPers were into Feldenkrais. So I started studying it and going to groups and, and doing the movements. But I hadn't, um, you know, really linked the Mbit stuff to Feldenkrais. It was only through the conversation with our, friends, our mutual friend Cindy uh, Mason that, uh, you know, okay. I, when she suggested I, I interview you, that I went, oh my goodness, of course. You know, whilst I, I quote the stuff or, uh, that Mo- Moshe says, like around neuroplasticity, the ideas of nothing being fixed, in the nervous system, I hadn't necessarily really made those deeper connections of how Feldenkrais speaks to the head, heart, gut level. So uh, I, I really, uh, you know, I encourage the uh, people listening to this MP3 to go and explore uh, Feldenkrais technique, to you know, and, and other allied tech body body movement techniques like Alexander technique, etc. They they all are very important kinesthetic movement based communication processes into the language of the multiple brains and the brains from what we see evolved in you know as you said earlier around movement and you're right human complexity of movement is is you know with, with what humans can do when you see the elegance of movement that you know people flying wingsuits and amazing things that humans mm-hmm. can do that that just are exquisite in the level of complexity of what we can do and yet most of us go through habits and patterns in our lives that are probably fixed action patterns that lead to a lot of the challenges we give ourselves that are at a psycho-emotional level. So, yeah,
1: um, important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty awesome. Um, just one more thing to mention. One of my former teachers, Mark Reese, who unfortunately has passed on, his biography is finally... His biography of Feldenkrais is finally out. That's called Moshe Feldenkrais A Life and Movement. And you can get that at Feldenkrais Resources. And it's if you're interested in Feldenkrais, it will tell you exactly how he created this method through his many experiences of judo, his work in physics. Uh, his time with Alexander. It, it's really all in there. It, it's, it's, it's a beautiful book and anybody interested in Feldenkrais is just going to love to read it. And again, you can get that at Feldenkrais Resources. Excellent. I'll put a link to that on
0: the webpage that this interview will go up on and so that people can find it easily and I'll grab a copy myself because I am certainly interested in, in understanding, you know, going back to, to almost like to step into the, the mind-body Learning shoes of Moshe and and figure out how he came to be able to create what he's created. It's, yeah, it's profound.
1: It, it, it's a fun read and it, it it really it covers everything. It it is uh, it, it's not your usual biography. It, it it's really it's about the man, but it's more about the creation of his method. And all the various aspects of his learning that went in to create this this method. It will it, be fun. You'll have a good time with it. Awesome, awesome. I look forward
0: to it. I'll jump on and <laughs> and order that now. Um, well, thank you once again, Tom. Really, really appreciate your time uh, today, and uh, look forward to a, you know another chat, another interview uh, in the future.
1: Well, I had a great time. Thanks a bunch, and and keep up the work you're doing. It's 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 just great information, and it, it's wonderful that people all over the world are going to have access to it.
0: Yeah, thank you. It's it's really about bringing more wisdom to the to the planet. We hope into people's lives. So uh, more choice, more wisdom. Um, so there you go. Thank you.